Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Glad to have you all with me. I mentioned, I think, the last time that we visited that my almost 104-year-old aunt passed away, had a wonderful long life. And the day of her gravesite, which I got to participate in, we had a family dinner afterwards. One of my cousins has a really nice acreage with a lake and a little pavilion that where you can have dinners out in the summer, even when it's hot and that kind of stuff. So we all gathered around there and we were talking about how they remembered their mom and their dad. Their mom and dad actually had four families and then their mom had two step families. Her first husband died when she was 44 years old in 1961. And with him, they had three girls, four years apart from 1937 to 1940. Then a few years later, two boys, 1945 to 47. A few years later, a daughter in 1951. And then seven years later, a son in 1958. 21 years separating the seven, and there were actually four different families, if you will. And each of those groups experienced and related to their mom and dad in different ways and had different views of them. And that's normal. You know, my wife comes from a family of five children and her siblings were 15 years apart. My wife was the youngest. So they all had different relationships with their parents based on the stage of life their parents were in and other kids around and stuff. And, you know, that's just normal. I didn't experience that because I'm an only child. And I was thinking about that when I read an article online last week. Some of you may have seen it. This is from the Associated Press, and it's a town, I think it's pronounced Buckhannon, West Virginia. The article said, two men who believed they were switched at birth nearly 80 years ago are suing a Roman Catholic diocese in West Virginia, alleging negligence and breach of duty by the hospital where they were born. John William Carr III and Jackie Lee Spencer were both born August 29, 1942, at St. Joseph Hospital in Buckhannon. Their lawsuit says that staffers at the church-run hospital sent them home with the wrong families. The switch was discovered last year when these two men were 80 years old, when DNA tests showed that Carr and Spencer had no genetic matches with the family that raised them but their genetic match did match each other's family. Carr and Spencer's and their family say that they've suffered a lifetime consequence, I would guess so, 80 years, from the switch and are seeking unspecified damages. Mr. Spencer spent more than 50 years searching for the man listed on his birth certificate as his father. He'd been told that the man abandoned his mother prior to his birth. Well, Finally, after spending 50 years of searching, he found some relatives of the man, and they took a DNA test to see if he was related and discovered he was not. 
An additional DNA test also shows he wasn't even related to the people that he had grown up with, thinking that they were his blood family. It turned out, tests showed, he really was related to this other man's family. And they found out they were born the same day at the same hospital. So they each took DNA tests, and neither one were related to the families that they grew up in. And, of course, they just they never got to know their family. One of them said many of the people that Jack should have known his entire life are gone. He feels as though most of his family died all at once. He grieves for the loss of life he was supposed to have while reconciling those feelings with the love and gratitude he feels for the family he has known his whole life. Mr. Carr, who has blue eyes and blonde hair, said he looks different from the family that raised him, and he always felt out of place. He said, I never felt like I fit in here because my mom and dad had brown hair and brown eyes, and so do my brother and sister. Neither one of these men had their, what, who they thought was their father's DNA. Neither one of them got the inheritance they deserved. Neither one of them knew their real families. So that made me think, as you might imagine, of our Heavenly Father, our Dad, Papa, as Jesus, who knows him best, called him. The only true God, Jesus said, whom no one knew until Jesus came and started revealing him to them. Jesus said in Matthew 11, I think it's 27, he said, no one knows who their true Father is. See, it's like our mindset was switched at birth, and we were sent home from the hospital to a different family than was our real family. It's like our mindsets, all mankind, our minds were switched at birth to a mindset that didn't remember who our original father was. Now, we're going to see some more practical application of how we can now experience the abundant life that God wants us to have and help others as well in light of our ever-expanding view of our father. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 contain a picture of your and everybody's mind spiritual DNA. It's like our real father is listed in the book of life on our original birth certificate. But if you've never studied Ephesians 1 through 3, or if you've studied it and been taught it through a law-based mindset with the concept of a, an angry God that really doesn't exist, if that's your concept of God, when you read Ephesians 4 through 6, you won't fit in. And you'll go through life falsely believing that you've got somebody else's spiritual DNA. You'll think your father is some sort of a human concept that religion teaches. So when you come to Ephesians 4 to 6, you'll read it all as something you have to do to gain and maintain a right relationship with a father who doesn't exist. Now, last week I briefly mentioned that the Apostle Paul, the one that Jesus chose to personally reveal the truth about God to, many times used the phrase in his writings, God the Father of Jesus. Not just the truth that God is the Father of Jesus, but that's describing who he is. He is the Father of Jesus. God is the Father. The only true God, as Paul says, is the Father as Jesus reveals him to be. And Jesus, of course, is the exact replica of him. And he is your Father and the Father of all. So Paul uses that phrase to differentiate between the Father of Jesus and the small g God that everybody up till that time had believed in. Each of these two 80-year-old men that I mentioned switched at the hospital thought their father was somebody else. But 
the DNA showed them who their real earthly father was. So which spiritual father, which God do you believe in? The God of Jesus Christ or a different God who doesn't exist, but was a figment of the imagination of people ever since Adam and Eve. It'll make a huge difference in your life, which one you believe is your father. It's so important that we know who our real father is, what he's like, and what our spiritual DNA is, and what our inheritance is, which we already have. Now, I'm going to go over just a few things that Jesus revealed to Paul, and he wrote to them, he wrote to us, to tell us what our real father is like. This is Ephesians 1, 3. He says, this is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us already, past tense, before the beginning of time, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Your real Father, your real Papa God, has already blessed you with everything, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's your inheritance. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, Paul is praying here, and he says, I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. He is the perfect Father of all. And when you know that, you know, the truth then that we are all family. And that's a huge step in seeing everyone through Christ's eyes and not judging and uh, separating and excluding and all of that kind of stuff. Ephesians 4, 4, Paul says this, there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You are related spiritually to every person on the face of the earth. We're all one. We're all God's children. Colossians 1, 1 to 3. Paul says, may God, our true father, release upon your lives the riches of his kind favor or grace and heavenly peace through the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. He said, every time we pray for you, our hearts overflow with thanksgiving to the Father God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul ends the book of Romans in, in the last chapter, 15. He says, all of us can praise the Lord together with one voice, giving glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in contrast with other versions of God that people had. First Corinthians 8, 6, for us, there is but one God the Father, who is the source of all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things that have been created, and we exist and have life and have been redeemed through him. Second Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Sounding like a pretty good father, right? Second Corinthians eleven thirty one. Paul says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. One of the things that our Father does, and if you've been moving along in this 
progressive revelation of who God really is, that he's all good, that he's love, that he's inclusive, that he's in everyone and through everyone and for everyone, and that we're all in his family. When we go and tell other people that and thinking many times that, wow, they're going to be excited and love to hear this because they've been immersed and indoctrinated in religion. Many times people will say, no, that's not true. You're a heretic. You're spreading false things. It's false teaching. But the God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ knows that we're not lying. And we can listen to him, of course, and he will confirm that. Ephesians six twenty three. Paul closes that verse by saying, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So from all of those verses, what's your real father like? He's perfect. He's love. He's grace. He's peace. He's comfort. He's mercy. He's inclusion. He's accepting. And you're a chip off the old block. Now, I want to talk a little bit today about how that affects our prayer life. Most of you who've had any church experience where you memorized and you were taught the Lord's Prayer, which starts with our Father who art in heaven, many of your churches, like mine did, said that every Sunday. In the Catholic tradition, the prayer is actually called the Our Father. And when you go to confession and you confess your sins, if they weren't too bad, the priest will say, okay, you got to say 18 Our Fathers. I won't comment on that. But what I'm going to read you today is taken from Dr. Rocco Erico's book on the Aramaic Lord's Prayer. The book's called Setting a Trap for God. And he calls it that because in Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus and the disciples spoke, in Aramaic, prayer and set a trap are the definitions that were used in Aramaic for the same Aramaic word. And they thought of it this way. When you're praying, you are basically catching Every blessing God has for you when you pray, an interesting concept, setting a trap for God to get God's blessings. All right. Now, Jesus taught the disciples and us how to view God when we pray. It was completely different than how religion had taught them. And for me, it's the Aramaic prayer is completely different from what religion taught me. So this is the Lord's Prayer translated from the Aramaic, these are the words that Jesus would have used when he taught this. He didn't speak Koinonia Greek, at least not to our knowledge. He spoke Aramaic. So here it is. Beloved Father who fills all realms. He starts out by calling. They said, they said, teach us how to pray. He starts out with beloved father. And up until that time in all of history, the whole, all the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish history, never, ever referred to God as father. I think there were six times in the Old Testament where it said God was the father of the nation of Israel or the father of the kings or something like that, but never in a personal way, father of individuals. So Jesus says, beloved father who fills all realms. He's our father. He's everyone's father. He's love. He loves us. And he's everywhere present in everybody. Then he says, may you, beloved father, be honored in me. So instead of the traditional Greek translation of hallowed be your name, the Aramaic word for name is Shema, S-H-E-M-A. The Hebrew word is Shem, S-H-E-M. And it's a word with multiple meanings in the Aramaic. It can also be translated light, sound, or atmosphere. 
And the idea is here is you can place a light like a lantern, which was all the light they had in those days or a torch in an enclosed dark space. And it magnifies that light. If you've got a lantern out in a lighted room or outdoors, it doesn't seem very bright at all. But when you put it in a dark room, it really magnifies it. So that's the context there in the meaning of God's name, hallowed be thy name, or may you be honored in me. It means your name be magnified as we focus our lives on you. Then he says, let your divine rule come now. He says, let your will come true in all the universe, in the heavens and on the earth. God's will, the only true God, Papa's will, is the restoration of all things. His will is that no one perish, which means that no one would live without experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to give us now and forever. Let your will come true in all the universe. Now, in my opinion, that means that God's will will forever trump human will in regard to the restoration of all of our original Genesis, who we have always truly been. Give us all that we need for each day. That can also be translated in the Aramaic. Give us bread or life today for the coming day. Bread to them was a metaphor of our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional needs. Give us all of that, sozo, which we translate salvation, which means made whole in every way. So Jesus is teaching us there to acknowledge Father God as our provider of all we need each day. But the next phrase is, we uh, usually were taught this as forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. All right. Here's what Jesus said in the Aramaic. Untangle the knots of unforgiveness that bind us within. Unforgiveness binds us up. He says, untangle the knots of unforgiveness that bind us within as we also let go of the guilt of others. Boy, that's a whole different meaning for it, isn't it? I'll read it again. Father, untangle the knots of unforgiveness that bind us within as we also let go of the guilt of others. I really like that. All right. Next phrase is, let us not be lost in superficial things. But let us be free from that what keeps us from our true purpose. Some translations say, lead us not into evil or lead us not into temptation. That totally contradicts what James wrote in James 1, 13 and 14, which says God does not tempt anyone. So the original meaning is, let us not be lost in superficial things, but let us be free from that which keeps us from our true purpose which I'm understanding is being loved and loving God and loving others. Unconditionally loved people love people unconditionally. Then he closes with, Father, from you comes all rule, the strength to act, and the song that beautifies all from age to age. Amen, or may it be so. That's about our relationship with our Papa God. I want to talk a little bit about our relationship with our parents, our kids, nieces, nephews, loved ones. While we can't possibly act as a perfect father or mother or grandparent, aunt or uncle or friend, we can't act like that. We can't live that out unless we know we have a perfect father who made us perfect and Jesus in us who will live as us and love perfectly. God has specifically given each of us children, Nieces, nephews, siblings, grandchildren, family, friends who need and require 
what only Jesus living as us can provide. What God requires, God provides. And many times we ourselves are that provision for people in our families and in our lives. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them to resentment. Instead, rear them tenderly in the training and discipline of the counsel and admonition of the Lord. That reminds me of Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and in keeping with their individual gift or bent, and then when they're old, they will not depart from it. All right. The mirror translates it this way. Fathers, your role is not to exasperate your children by giving them burdens and tasks too heavy to bear. You are rather to awaken their minds in an environment conducive to draw on every virtue that is already in them. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in us gives each of us two people to help awaken other people's minds of who they already are. And he puts people in our lives to do that. Paul wrote this to Titus, Titus 2, 11 and 12. He said, God's marvelous grace has manifested in person. Jesus is grace personified. Grace is not a doctrine. Grace is a person, Jesus. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. The same grace, Jesus, teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And grace, Jesus, equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. And he does it as us. It's amazing. The mirror says it this way. The grace of God shines as bright as day, making the salvation of humankind undeniably visible. The day and age we live in sets the stage for displaying the attraction of an awe-inspired life. Our minds are rescued in the revelation of our righteousness or our right standing with God. We are in the school of grace, instructed how to thoroughly reverse the apathy and indifference that erupts in a wave of lust that would seek to dictate the day. And Francois, the translator, says, The revelation of righteousness, which the Holy Spirit of Christ in us is doing every day, shows how completely God redeemed all mankind in Christ and empowers us to cultivate an innocence consciousness instead of a sin consciousness. As we've been talking about, we're in this play, his story. We're on stage in his story and history. And we are Christ's trophies on display on stage in his trophy case, displaying the attraction of an awe-inspired life, especially those of us who have kids and grandkids and family members and to everybody. Jesus' love, Papa love, and Holy Spirit love are one, and you and I are one with them. They are our real family. We have their spiritual DNA. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. He said, the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of Father God, and the intimate friendship and communion of the Holy Spirit are in all people. In our real family, our DNA, our spiritual DNA, which runs all through us is Jesus' grace, the intimate friendship and communion of the Holy Spirit, and the love of Papa God. Colossians 1.11, Paul says, we pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. And we are energized by the power of God, the power of love, the Holy Spirit power working in us. 
Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Paul says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Christ and for him. He is in the immediate presence of all things. Now, get this phrase. We're going to talk about this in closing. And in Christ, all things hold together. All things hold together in Christ. Do you know the word laminin? L-A-M-I-N-I-N. Laminin is the protein cell in the DNA of every human being that holds every cell together. It's a protein in everyone's human DNA. And it's in the shape of a cross. I wish I could show you the pictures of this on a podcast, but I can't. But I encourage you to Google it. Go to Laminin, L-A-M-I-N-I-N, Search different things that are written about it. Look at the different images, and you'll see the cross. Now, this laminin protein is the protein that tells all the other cells what they are, what they're going to be. It says, okay, you're going to be skin. You're going to be bones. You're going to be brain tissue, all of this kind of stuff. So when you see a scientist drawing of the laminin protein in our DNA, they draw it out like a cross. And, you know, it has different things in it. And they talk about one of its functions is cell binding. And another is showing other cells what they're going to become. And it goes right to Colossians 1.17. In Christ, all things are held together. All things are bound together. Laminin protein holds us together. And when you Google these images, you can find not only the scientific drawing of what that looks like, but you can see an actual picture of laminin protein that's done with a an unbelievably powerful microscope that shows laminin protein, again, that holds all the cells together, holds everything together, and tells and shows what each cell is going to become. And the picture of the actual laminin protein cell is in the shape of a cross. Christ is in all, through all, and for all, and holds all things together. And when God, Jesus, spoke you into existence, when he spoke all mankind into existence, prior to that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, prior to creating anything, they intentionally focused on you, specifically, individually, and took however much time they wanted to because they enjoyed it, and they thought you up. They conceived of you. They created you. They knew that when you would be a spirit being to begin with, and then when you came to earth, you would be spirit slowed down to visibility, and they designed the color of your hair, the color of your skin, color of your eyes, your fingerprints, your toe prints, the, the print, unique prints that your eyes have, all of these different things. They gave you your human DNA with laminin, the protein that binds and holds everything together in the shape of a cross. Louis Giglio 
who's a teacher, speaker, has a great, fairly short, like 10, 12 minute or so thing teaching on this where you can, you can see the, uh, the slides and, and what the things look like. And he gives a wonderful, exciting, inspiring message on how Christ is in us all and holds us all together. Hey, I hope this has been interesting and helpful to you all. I hope you'll take the time to look at these things online. And I'll see you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.